ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to these go to 11. Once again, Nathan Bell, Greg Dutcher sitting across from me. Greg, what's going down? Uh, I bet this is going to feel like five minutes, dude, because our podcast, we've been saying it's been going a little longer lately. Yeah. So we're going to make it up to the audience tonight and make this one a little shorter. That's right. Largely <laughs> out of necessity with our returning champion. That's right. We got Jeff Crotz joining us again. The Crotz Awakens. Oh, I like it, man. <laughs> I like Jeff, it. Jeff, how you doing? Hey, uh, doing great and uh, still... Still uh, holding down the uh, fort up here in Anchorage, Alaska. Just trying to keep things safe yes. on the north, the, the north northwest. That's right. How is the weather up there? Uh, it's beautiful. Um, it's colder. You know, I think we're about sixteen degrees colder than you guys right now. Oh, so right. I'm not talking to Southern California. You know, right now I'm talking to the East Coast. Yep. The, the land that I love, because I'm from the East Coast, so you guys are near and dear to my heart. I'm from Virginia Beach. But, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's 30-something and clear blue skies and sunny. You can feel the warmth of the sun again. Nice. And, and the days are now probably, you know, at least eight, eight and a half hours long of sunlight. So, <laughs> crazy. we've come out of the cave. Right. Yes. Right. That's great. Yes. And you, you've not been on, Jeff. Nathan and I were looking back. Since June, yeah, and uh, you know we're not going to ask you to walk us through that. We know you had a lot going on. Jeff pastors a church up there in yep. Anchorage, Alaska, and uh, as in any church, you go through seasons of transition and staffing and all kinds of stuff that Jeff was involved in in the last many months. Um, but you were last on with your associate Nathan, my associate yes. Mark, and we talked about the age of the Earth and just everybody's dying to know we did uh, we did. Uh, uh, persuade you to our viewpoint that night, didn't we, Jeff? Yeah, I mean, it, we're, we're all just kind of, uh, you know, feet firmly planted in midair on the issue, it Good. sounds like. <laughs> Good, that's, that, that's exactly what we wanted it to be. We want to bring yeah. more confusion and ambiguity to the minds of our <laughs> listeners, and I think we hey, successfully did it. All, all I know is I think R.C. Sproul is on your side, yeah. and so enough said. Uh, there you I go, mean, man. If, if he doesn't know... Then you know how can we know exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. RC man, who's the closest we get to sort of a sort of a reformed pope, but we That's well that, that that might that might get into what we talk about a little bit tonight. So well, we'll, uh, and, we'll see. and he's never Googled before; like he doesn't even know what that means. So it, I mean, isn't that a, it, isn't it true, Jeff, that John MacArthur hasn't done the internet either? As of a few years uh, ago, I thought that's what I heard. Uh, yeah, his one of his favorite associate pastors who mentored me uh, years ago. He said, "Yeah, John's never met a computer." Wow! <laughs> so, so yeah, he he doesn't do that. Wow! Anyway. Incredible! Yep! Incredible! Wow! He has a phone. He has yeah, a phone. But, uh, so he so does have probably, a cell phone. Okay. Probably something's happened. I mean, the flip phone. You know, it's probably you know he's he's probably beyond a flip phone. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He's got the old Motorola StarTac flip phone. That I had in 2002. Yep. It was awesome. Yep. Miss that. Phone. Yep. Um, good, <laughs> good. Great. Well, I know our time's short, right, Nate? Yeah. So we got to. Yeah, we want to just dive right in. So um, today, uh, what, what we just want to talk about um, is more. Um, Jeff, you studied under John MacArthur, who has more conservative leanings when it comes to certain topics. Um, yes. Very biblically sound, though, and we want to make that absolutely clear. Just um, really exposits the word um, in depth. Very biblically biblically sound. And so, what we're going to be talking about today isn't going to be anything um, that's divisive in terms of um, the the soundness of scripture. Mm-hmm. 
But they are issues that deal with our, our liberties, our licenses, and our freedoms. And so we just want to bring up some of those things. Did you have a chance, Jeff, to listen to the one we did on the um, Powerball ticket? I know we sent that one to you. Oh, yeah. Did you have an opportunity to listen to that one? You know, I, I think the last podcast I heard was the one with Mike Abendroth. Oh, yeah. And so that, you know, that I listened to, but I, I'm not, I don't think I listened to the Powerball one. Yes. I didn't win. I didn't yeah. win the Powerball with, with, with all the different pull tabs and things that I did over the last six months. I mean, yeah. that's where I've been, right? I know, I dude. Win Powerball. He has been and just. So I was a little embittered. I know, dude. Yeah. You, you've been trying to scrape together two dollars a day every day for eight months just to see if you can hit it big. And dude, if you hit it big, you wouldn't be talking to us right now. We know how that works. Well, there's still hope. There's still hope. There's always hope, guys. There is, that's right. <laughs> there is always a Powerball drawing. You know. I uh, Jeff, yeah, you might have um, to bring me up to speed. Yeah. Well, uh, just a real quick word. Mike Abendroth, about halfway through that podcast, it dawned on me. I said, this dude's got to know Jeff. Uh, or oh, yeah. Or at least your brother, John, right? Who? Um, no, you, we're buds. Yeah, we all know each other. Wow. Mike was at Mike was at seminary. Uh, my brother was at seminary with me. And then Mike's younger brother, Pat Abendroth, who's in Omaha, you know, Peyton Manning, you know, Omaha. I was going to say, yeah, cute, Manning country. Yeah. Cute, yeah. Yeah, Q Omaha. But anyway, yeah. yeah, so we were two brother combinations at Masters at the same time. The wow. Abendroths and the Crots. Wow. So there you go. That yeah. is cool. He he was a great guest, man, yeah. as you would well know. And, you know, obviously he was talking about his new book, uh, Sexual Fidelity, and um, it was yeah, he's, really, really good. Yep, he's the real deal. Yep. Yeah, so I think part of, uh, Jeff, that uh, – uh, you know, part of the issue that we've been talking about in the last few months, I think some of our listeners have pointed some things out that have made me and Nathan think, you know, I feel like the uh, reformed evangelical landscape is uh, not as um, smooth as it used to be. I mean that in a good way. I mean, it, it uh, you know, I, I've often said I came to Christ in 86. Um, and where I was at that time, uh, as you know, Jeff, I got a lot of John MacArthur's Bible teaching on the radio. Um, I loved the fact that he was an expository teacher, didn't know what expository teaching meant. I just remember thinking, driving in my car, how cool it is, man. That, wow, it's like I heard him yesterday, and he was in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10, and today he's in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. And even as a young Christian, 17, 18 at that time, that was my way of – I don't think I knew I was doing it. I was somewhat indicting. I think the lack of expository preaching that I had heard in other places where, you know, one day it's a sermon on faith. The next day it's a sermon on giving. The next day it's a sermon on uh, something else and uh, more topical. So um, had no idea MacArthur believed anything uh, that would have been considered reformed. I didn't know what reformed was. Right. So um, the only thing I knew is that I heard MacArthur do a message on Ephesians 1 and I remember thinking, man, I, I, what is he talking about? On right. He was hitting the predestined thing pretty hard, and I remember it made me feel just sort of strange. So I, 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 it didn't keep me from listening to him. I just didn't have a category to appreciate him. And then uh, for me, the only other access to anything remotely reformed was largely what I would call covenant confessional Presbyterianism um, in my neck of the woods. There were some you know, PCA churches. Uh, there was one OPC church uh, that I didn't right. know what that meant. Um, right. And that was it. Uh, no other concept of back then, uh, 
Acts 29, a sovereign grace, um, certain types of Reformed Baptist, um, you know, which is a uh, – there can be quite a few gradations between them. <laughs> so um, – you know, you know, I mean, you know, re, uh, the whole reformed movement is a lot more hilly uh, t- to me today than it was just twenty, twenty-five years ago. And um, I'm, I'm going to use I'm going to use that metaphor for the rest of my life. Yes. a lot more hilly. Yeah. I like it. I'm that, filing that one. That is scholarly, isn't it, man? Just said. Yep. That hilly. I mean, you know, Mark Dever would come up with a way more uh, contextualized term or Al Mohler, but he nobody... would say he would say Capitol Hilly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> dude, we needed a sound effect. I know, right? Capitol Hilly, quick. <laughs> um, so, part of Jeff, what we wanted to get your take on tonight, and can't wait to get you back in the regular swing of things as well. Um, so, I guess one of the things we want to ask you, Jeff, yes. is where does what I'm calling MacArthurian Christianity fit within yeah. the, within the reform landscape, and let me let me make it a little easy uh, for yeah. you to comment on a few specifics. My take is that definitely reformed soteriologically um, yeah. on the sovereignty of God, particularly the sovereignty of God in salvation, but also um, I would say in terms of um, you know the the glory of God as a driving motivation for all of life and ministry. I think that's been very, very well captured in yeah. that <laughs> that uh, subsection of the larger neighborhood, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. Tends to be a little more dispensational, pre-millennial, yeah. and yeah. perhaps most interestingly, a little more fundamental, which makes for some really interesting conversations between beer-guzzling, breaking bad, uh, watching Christians talking to maybe to somebody walking out of a seminar at a shepherd's conference. Are um, we are we being recorded yet? We are. I'm just curious. Okay, good. All right, just checking. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't <yeah>. know. <laughs> we are, we are. So see, audience, Jeff doesn't even know. This is how, how hardcore no. we are here. Yeah, this is very candid and live. It's yes. good. <laughs> yes, and, and those are some of the things that stand out to me. And I'm just, I think of you, Jeff, as an insider. Now, obviously, I'm not saying you are a carbon copy of John MacArthur or every seminary or Bible professor you've ever had or pastor you've had. I, I know that about you. But for lack of better term, I'm going to call you an insider for the sake of brevity. Yeah. And just talk to us about your understanding of your pocket, if that metaphor makes sense. Well, let me just give you a little bit of um, quick history on my engagement with John MacArthur, the Master's College, the Master's Seminary. I have two degrees from the Master's Seminary, an MDiv and a Master's, I mean, and a doctor, um, a doctorate in expository preaching. Right. So a D-Men. So I have a MDiv and a D-Men from Master's Seminary. Um, and interestingly, uh, at, when I was at Liberty, which that's where we became friends, yep. you and I, um, I listened to probably about, a, I don't know, 200 sermons from John MacArthur in a row, yeah, uh, because I was given a bunch of cassette tapes, yep, way back when. And anyway, for those of you who don't know what a cassette tape is, it was a plastic object, <laughs> with, you know, reel to reel inside of it. Anyway, but I would listen to those and just really benefited from John and got excited about expository preaching, like a lot of people have. 
and wanted to learn how to do that. So I went to Master's Seminary and was hired by the Master's College uh, to be a resident director. And so because I was hired to be a resident director, I went to chapel three times a week with the college students, heard John MacArthur several times uh, there. Sure. I heard John MacArthur at seminary on Tuesday and Thursday when he would come and do chapels there. I I also heard John MacArthur, you know, Sunday mornings at Grace Community Church. That's where I worshipped. I was an, a non-paid intern there, so I was uh, under a lot of his uh, mentees uh, during that time, and then went to Sunday night church as wow. well. Wow. So I've heard John quite a bit, and then you know that was for four years and then i went to little rock arkansas and sat under lance quinn who was john macarthur's personal assistant for about seven years right. and was at the grace community church for you know like 10 so i had a lot of you know indirect influence through that and then uh during my doctor of ministry time was able to spent some time with John MacArthur in seminars and sort of living room settings and, you know, some personal dialogue with him um, in that way. Uh, anyway, so I've had some kind of up-close and personal contact. I know members of his family, things like that. So I, that just gives you a little bit of an inside uh, focus on where I'd be coming from. I know John MacArthur, not just from the pulpit ministry or the the broad landscape, but more on a personal level, not a a buddy-buddy friendship level, uh, but he would know me and I know him and, you know, I I respect him. One of the number one things I respect about John MacArthur is how his family is still all around him at the church. So you have all of his kids um, some who've gone away for a time and then they've returned to Southern California. Not a bad place to return to. Oh, sure, but of course. All of his kids and grandkids and in-laws—they all love him, and that's one of one of the greatest accolades I think you can give to a leader on that level is when all of your kids love you. Yes, and mm-hmm. are around him. You know, and I and I've seen that, observed it, and I would hope to have a legacy like that. That's probably the most impressive thing about him in terms of his leadership. Another thing that is very John MacArthur in terms of how to perceive him and understand him is, yes, he is Reformed. Uh, I would call him a Calvinist. I mean, he's come to affirm all the five points of Calvinism, and as far as I know. Mm-hmm. And he is, at the same time, a dispensationalist, and especially in his eschatology, is very... Uh, more fundamentalist, almost almost Ryrie like in his eschatology, right? But his so but his soteriology is very reformed, and you know, that's where he makes a strong connection with uh, R.C. Sproul. I sure. think his connection to R.C. Sproul is what made him more overtly Calvinistic in this last decade or fifteen years of his ministry. Yeah. The other elements of his reform soteriology just came from him being uh you know doggedly expositional so when he's in ephesians 1 or romans 8 and 9 there's no way around it and yeah. so he used to say 25 years ago he'd say look you know when i'm in a text that's overtly reformed or calvinistic i'm preaching it that way and when i'm in other texts that are talking about you know man's free will or uh, exercising faith, I'm preaching that that way. So he used to be more um, 
like a moving target with the issues. Now yes. he's become more crystallized in his dogma. And, and I think that's been a good thing. I think it's opened up doors rather than shut them down where he's made friendships with John Piper and, you know, the together for the gospel crowd. And, um, so that's been good. Yeah. So he's not, he's not a separatist with Presbyterians right, <laughs> by right. any stretch. Yeah. And, and another, another thing that I think, you know, I thought of just in terms of this interview was that one of the, hallmarks of MacArthur is his hermeneutics. He's he's a master in terms of taking a hermeneutics class and and becoming just sort of the expert for how to hermeneutically approach a passage and then preach it. Yeah. The reason I say that is when you really sort of give over to a sermon series on MacArthur, and I, I find him best when you just listen to him mm-hmm. and you listen to him, you know, several sermons in a row in a short period of time. Yeah. Because, and the reason that is such a good thing is he will delve into the historical context at a level where he's doing the backstroke in that thing. And you just kind of fall into uh, the life and times of Jesus or the missionary journeys of Paul and all that's going on where it's a colorful, almost movie like narrative in your mind. And then out of that, picture comes the clarity of points that he's making and he's so good hermeneutically even if he's not exactly lining up with where you would be on a position sure you're hard-pressed not to listen to him and he's preaching it with such conviction that it really moves you in terms of your love for the word and the authority of the moment because of all of what he's done in spade work to color in what he's saying with force yeah. Does that make any sense? I mean, because that's, I mean, I remember the comment that was made by someone who went to go see Spurgeon preach, and he waited outside, and people used to, you know, line up outside of that, you know, famous historic church in, in London, I guess, where people would be outside, and, and a guy finally made it in, you know, to hear Spurgeon preach, and they said, well, how was it? And he said, you know, how was Spurgeon as a preacher? And the person said, I don't know. Because all I saw during the preaching moment was Christ. Something yeah. like that. Wow. Well, for me, and this isn't to dog MacArthur or to unfairly compare him to Spurgeon. To me, when I first heard John live, I remember he was in First Thessalonians or something. And I just remember I felt like at the end of the sermon I had gone to Thessalonica, looked around, and gotten the point that the passage was making. And... It felt like I had gone to the IMAX theater of the Bible <laughs> and learned a lot yeah. and had been moved. And a lot of being moved by the preaching ministry of John is more indirect and subtle than direct because you just get wrapped up into what's going on at such a level biblically that you're not really thinking in terms of theological categories or hardline applications as much as, man, my spirit is moved and I've been awakened to the holiness of God and I've been awakened to my sin. I got to do some business, you know, with God privately. And you don't even know all of the reasons why. You just know that the clarity and convictional level of the scripture from hearing John does that to you. So that's sort of the genius of MacArthur. Yeah. Yeah. That's great, Jeff. I I would say um, having much less 
uh, intimate connection to uh, him, his fear of ministry, the master's seminary and college. I, I've experienced what you've said, I think, albeit on a much smaller, more fractional level. Um, talk to us a little bit, Jeff, since our time is short uh, tonight, uh, about the, uh, the, the culture. And uh, what I mean by that is I, I, I don't always know, and I don't view it as a bad thing. I, I think that it is a big tent in, again, what I'm calling probably a little unfairly reformed evangelicalism. Um, yeah. A view from the inside. Would you yeah. look at uh, the, the, the tone? You've gotten probably a little bit of the taste and tone Nathan and I have set <laughs> in, our, in our podcast, right? Um, yeah. And um, just give us your take. I love it, Jeff, because I so respect you as a preacher, as a friend, as a man who I know takes the word seriously, and yourself not so seriously, which I've always really yeah. loved about you. Um, yeah. And I think that might be our, our greatest connection. I, that's the best advice I ever got. Take the word seriously and yourself not so seriously. Yeah, um, that's right. And I sense that with you, Jeff. But give us your, your take. And even if you got to say some tough stuff, I'd, I'd love to hear it. And then uh, if we don't like it, we'll edit it out and make you say good stuff about it. <laughs> no, that's fine. And, yeah. you know, you guys, you, you guys like any good um, radio call, you know, call announcer or whatever, you can turn me off. Exactly. And talk over me. Oh, yeah, we will. We that's, will. <laughs> no, that's totally fine. I, You know, there's a couple things. One um, and, you know, I, I know you just glowingly uh, or sort of, you know, spoke of my self-deprecating nature, but I am a card-carrying uh, water polo player. I don't yes. know if you know that. Oh, I knew I that's just, a new development, yeah. Well, it's it's four years. I mean, I'm in my fourth season of water polo up in Alaska. Wow. So we took, for the first time, a team, a club team, under the banner of USA Water Polo and competed down in the Seattle Open. Uh, that was not this last weekend, but weekend before last. Mm. And we split We split the tournament. Um, we were in the B League, but we split two and two and came in third place. But every team that played us felt like they were playing Russia. So, uh, you know, it was yeah. like the USSR <laughs> team that's never been here, you know? Right, of course, yeah. And, and the reason I bring all of that up is I think that Part of the tone you get from John is a competitive edge. The guy is, you know, he could have gone into the NFL. I think the Redskins and the Browns were looking at him to be a wide receiver. That's so cool. And, you know, he went into ministry instead, and he, you know, had his big accident that was part of his conversion experience. I don't know if that played in. But the, the man is an athlete, yeah. and he thinks like an athlete, and he's, <laughs> he's also – He's got the, the same, um, and I'm not going off into politics here. Please, let's do not go there. But <laughs> You can't a little. You know, it's up to you. That, well, the Donald Trump sort of dynamic that's happening right now, wherever that goes and whether it's a flash in the pan or not, uh, the same sort of uh, dynamic command that Trump has, whatever we think about what he says, is the same thing that John does as an evangelical leader. Right. I mean, he's just, he's got the same kind of heavy, dogmatic, this is it, command that Trump does. I would say John almost more than Trump. I know what you mean. And then, and John can also take the edges off pastorally in the moment, extemporaneously. And this is what Trump is doing too. Whenever he talks about women, he'll kind of you know, take his voice up a little bit and yeah. talk this way. I, John is very good at that. And so he gets away with being very hardcore on issues 
because of that. It's just people understand he's, you know, an athlete. He's just sort of, this is his personality. He's saying what he's saying. And, and, you know, and he's able to say hard things. Now, one thing about John is I think because part of his sanctified fanaticism is that he's just going to die over the word. I mean, everything is the word to him. Now, as you said, it's about the glory of God, and I believe that is his motivation. But the way that he believes he's bringing glory to God is tying everything that he thinks about and says to the text mm-hmm. of Scripture. And so so he can't help but come, but come across strong. It's similarly to, you know, the, the last podcast that you invited me to on creationism yeah. <laughs> when I was speaking from Genesis there's a dynamism a convictional dynamism in the heart that sort of takes over where you can't help but come across a little stronger a little bit dogmatic more dogmatic because you feel like you're defending the honor of Christ right. according to your interpretation right and that's that's John yeah and so if he believes He's he's got the position down. He's going to sort of go on the proverbial stake over it. Yeah. Um, you know, Piper does that with the religious affections and you know, joy, desiring God issues. John does it over defending the truthfulness of Scripture, and and it and it just it's an overwhelming element to why people either gravitate towards him or are repulsed by him. Um, for instance, uh, the issues regarding Mark Driscoll that he was bringing up, you know, years ago and just saying, look, you know, there's something there and sort of put, you know, the, the reformed movement on notice. Right. Uh, I think he was, he was right. Uh You know, I think he sensed some things where he's going, you know, I've seen that movie before. And I, you know, I want to say some strong things, but, you know, I'm not saying John is always right on issues. I mean, he, he's just a guy. And I, and I wanted to preliminary, you know, preliminarily give, you know, a disclaimer, just like Paul in Second uh, Corinthians, I, no, First Corinthians, rather, where he's saying, look, you know, don't be of Apollos, don't be of Paul, don't be sectarian, mm-hmm. you know, in your in your Christianity, I'm, you know, not someone who would want to go down as a MacArthur Wright. Mm-hmm. And John wouldn't want me to go down as a MacArthur Wright. You know, I, I kind of like being up here tucked away in Alaska, you know, <laughs> just, yeah. just doing my thing. But, but I think that's what John's doing. He's just doing his thing and just calling it out on the platform that he has. He's not really concerned about you know, how he's networked and whatever. He's just speaking his heart, you know, from his platform. But I think he, he gets it right sometimes because he's not measuring his position against other positions and doesn't care about the fallout of what he's going to say because he's 70-some years old and just going to say, look, this is what the Scripture is framing up in my mind, right? and this is what I think about an issue. If someone is sort of wrapped up in sensuality or is a shock jock speaker and you probably need to watch out there. Sure. And, and, you know, and he came out and took a position on some hyper charismaticism with the strange fire conference recently. And, 
basically his point for doing that was saying, look, I feel freedom to call out some things that are hyper charismatic. Yeah. And he was calling it out even to his conservative, you know, people like Wayne Grudem and John Piper and Don Carson who might be um, continuationists but are dyed in the wool um, sufficiency of scripture people, right? Right. And so and so he's calling them out and saying, brothers, you're my friends, but you've maybe become hamstrung. Like you can't speak out with the level that I can because you're kind of leaving some room for things experientially that John wasn't. And right. so, you know, wherever you fall on the continuum of cessationism or, or, or continuationism, I appreciate his him being up front and out loud about it. And uh, and his freedom to do that because he's not really tied to net to a network per se. I I think you're right on that, particularly with the uh, the strange fire thing. Um, Jeff is interesting that that's that's a distinctive that he has held on to consistently from the early yeah. days. You know, uh, the charismatics to charismatic chaos yeah. to strange fire. I think he's yeah. saying it's almost. I took that as his own sort of uh, look at. Uh, the the more popular acceptable inroads of charismatic distinction in broader evangelicalism and even in uh, reformed evangelicalism yeah and I think he right. like what I'm hearing him say is yeah I, I you know just because the landscape has changed I haven't <laughs> you know I think uh -huh. um, he has been extremely consistent there whether you agree with him or not I think you have to admire him for his uh, very very consistent take so. Um, and, and, and Jeff, again, in the live podcasting, or it's live to us, uh, the exciting raw <laughs> podcasting we're doing, at any moment you're going to get your kids from school, right? Yeah, I've got three minutes uh, before I'm going to start to run upstairs, you know, because my kids are being released yeah. from the teacher's. And they're just, they just get to tear up to dad's office. Yes, I got and you. So, yeah, 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 it's fine. Well, it's all good. I guess, Jeff, one of the things that has, um, struck me is um, some of the issues related, and I want to at least in our final moments honor our title a little bit. Of course, we could change the the, the title. Uh, I have talked to some people, Jeff, and you're not one of them. I think you are, you'd be a breath of uh, fresh air to people. Some people that were in the, for lack of a better term, MacArthur vein, not necessarily uh, right. at his school, at his church, right. but the MacArthur right. vein, who have since left, they're still committed believers, they're reformed, they describe their sojourn in that um, movement in rather negative terms, feeling that okay. they were caught within some uh, fundamentalism, or in some cases they'll say legalism, and I'm, I'm not saying they're right, I'm saying it's been enough of an observation of people that I know that say, oh man, I just, I'm not there anymore, and um, I, they all have their own story. Uh, I mean, what is your take on that, uh, Jeff? As a guy that's still pretty comfortable within that pocket, do you do you see that? Do you see some legitimacy there? Do you just think they had a a different experience than you? Well, you know, I, I'd have to hear the scenarios because there are probably about you know five or ten different things that that people spin out you know on uh, that are legalistic you know, pitfalls that come out of, you know, movement like uh, from Grace Community Church or from John. But I don't think that P 
people who are spinning out or tripping up into legalism, I don't blame John MacArthur or his ministry for that Yeah, as much as people who begin to make John or his movement or his methods into idols. Uh-huh. And I think anytime people begin to follow the man rather than follow Christ, it, it's tempting to trip up and, and become fanatical. Yeah. You know, in a negative term. I mean, there, you know, there's a, there's kind of a good fanaticism over the word, over the glory of Christ, over being different than the world. And then when you begin to look at a man and try to emulate a person, then you can begin to create categories where you're, you know, following someone as if they're a cult leader when they're really not. Yeah. And it can really trip you up. I, I think that, uh, you know, some of the history of fundamentalism that are found in the moorings of maybe Grace Community Church, some of that probably has loosened up over the years just mm-hmm. through, you know, through the mix of the body of Christ coming there. And it's a unique balance of a place because you have a lot of people who are dressed on Sunday mornings in suit and tie and, you know, more clean cut look looks there, but it's still Los Angeles. So you have people coming in, you know, who are dressed, however, you know, shorts, t-shirts, whatever. And so it's a, it's kind of a unique blend and mix of traditional, maybe Southern sort of Christianity meets Los Angeles. And I can't, you can't all the way get your arms around why that is, but, um, I don't know. I, I think that People will do something like this when they get ensnared in legalism. They'll say, okay, I, you know, I'm enjoying the messages. I'm enjoying the singing. I'm enjoying serving at the church. And then I'm watching not just John, but the disciples of John mm-hmm. who are, you know, genuine disciples, not, not legalistic disciples, but the disciples of John then begin to say, okay, you know, this is what my quiet time looks like, or this is what it looks like to really study the Bible, you know, with precision. And these are the theological truths that I believe. Then you have sort of a third generation person who's mentored by a mentee of John. And, and then you just begin to codify that as whether or not I'm right with God. Am I doing that quiet time the right way? Am I in bounds? Am I out of bounds? Am I, you know, concerned about, you know, what form of media I introduce myself to or not, or, you know, whether or not I, you know, I'm a teetotaler or not? Those kinds of issues become, for a third generation MacArthurite, uh, issues regarding how they're measuring their sanctification, and that can be very dangerous. Sure. And I have seen that um, happen. Yeah. And and some of that, a big part of that is because of John's wide pulpit. I mean, his pulpit is massive because he's so good on the radio that his radio ministry has gone all around the world. And this is sort of a, as you know, a an effect that uh, is broader was broad before podcasting, before the World Wide Web really was even conceived of. Right, so. So his radio ministry has impacted not just the U.S., but, you know, it's retranslated and 
and it's reached people all around the world. And because of that breadth of influence, people will begin to say, well, his convictions must be right. Sure. And, and that's where people will get in danger because really the, the measuring stick is scripture and you, you have to get the gospel right. I mean, the whole movement over the last 20 years of, you know, let's re-understand the gospel and grace and what it means to, to experience a non-legalistic works-oriented sanctification. I mean, that whole thrust, you know, that's been, um, you know, I think rightly reintroduced has been healthy. And I think a lot of people have found, you know, freedoms that really, uh, you know, nobody, nobody's saying we shouldn't have, you sure. know, we should. Sure. There's some, there's some dangers to that where there's been, I think, some antinomianism. I think you guys have addressed that in the last six months. Yeah. Wait, wait. <laughs> Once but, or twice. Yeah. A couple yeah, of times. I, I yeah. didn't, I didn't get to weigh in on that, but you know, I, I think there are some dangers in antinomianism and some licentiousness that people have, you know, kind of overreached the other way. But, you know, I, I, I think that, I think that um, there are some people who get – I'd have to hear the scenarios where people get tripped up. But definitely, I understand that there's some people who exalt man and, and some some versions of sanctification that just are not biblically um, warranted. Yeah, yeah. And I think, Jeff, you're um, – I've seen that a little more. My, uh, my influence after the time you and I were hanging out in our early 20s down there at Liberty, you know, when we were uh, – yeah just both getting ready to shove off to seminary and that sort of thing, was probably a little more Piper uh, than MacArthur, although, you know, I've obviously yeah. connected both. And absolutely, I mean, I can say, and I've heard people address this, and you've seen it too, I have seen so much poor Piper imitation. Um, and, and, and maybe even more so, it's more catastrophic when it comes to Piper. Piper, and I've heard his son Barnabas on the Happy Rant podcast talk about this, and um, about a year ago, uh, yeah. you know, he was making some comments that his father is a very strong personality. He yeah. is. Uh, he has very extreme passions and tendencies that are sincere and legitimate. That, in other words, that's who he is. And he said, when you see people that he said get enamored with my dad. And they try to be him, but it's not coming from a place of sincerity. He goes, it's really crappy. Uh, (laughs) And and, um, Piper's almost uh, monastic. And I said that on another podcast, and I had a a listener say, man, that means you're saying he's out of touch. And that was my bad. That's not what I mean. I don't mean that he's out of touch. I mean he's uh, monastic on a spiritual disciplines level. I think Piper's very much in touch, actually, with culture, and he's very well read. But, you know, this is a dude that... Um, doesn't he, own a TV. Yeah, he doesn't own a TV, right? Since 1968, yeah. just yeah. doesn't have a TV. The only time he's seen a so, TV is if he's at somebody else's house or in an airport. So you guys you guys do own television? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's right. I would like to say uh, right now, let me see. Four at the Dutch house, three in use, <laughs> one in a closet in case one of them breaks. Because, you know, bro, right. at, at my idol factory, we got to have backups ready to go um, yeah. at, at, at a moment's notice. So that is him. I'll tell you, there's something that smacks of such self-righteousness. 
when a guy is doing that to be like Piper right. as as opposed to Piper, who I think is doing that because that's who he really is mm-hmm. yeah, before that's God. that's who he is. That's yeah. right. And yeah. I think people like that appreciate people who are just more being themselves. You know, otherwise it becomes awkward for the leader when people are trying to imitate them on superficial levels, yeah. you know, and, and that's, that's super, yeah, that's a super helpful point to make. I mean, you, anytime people become an ite, it becomes super weird and people begin to intonate, you know, phrases like, uh, John MacArthur or like John Piper. It's a, it's a tell. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Know? Yeah. Yeah. When they, um, when people begin to talk about the glory of God, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, whatever. That was kind of a hybrid between both of those. That was people. kind of both of them. I liked it. <laughs> that was kind of both. It's kind of weird. You got your own thing going on there. Um, I'm morphing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So you're right. I mean, the you know my take on this uh, on the antinomian thing is um, I always take it, dude. I don't know if you'll feel this with me. I I, I got to be careful, but I take it as a healthy sign if I'm ever accused of antinomianism. Um, right, and I invoke, yeah, I've heard you say that. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I always invoke Luther. You know, that's where I go to Luther because yeah, you know, that's you, right. You go to your beer drinking, cussing German who um, <laughs> yeah. did a lot yeah. of things very poorly, if, if we're honest about it. But he, uh, you know, would uh, say that if you're preaching the the gospel at some point, you should be yeah. called an antinomian, of course, because Paul yeah. seems to have been. Um, right in the misunderstanding of what grace is and and that sort of thing. So obviously, right. even even in our title, Jeff, I think everybody would agree on the framework. Whether you're in the MacArthur camp, you're in a uh, a sovereign grace camp, an Acts twenty nine camp, um, wh- whatever brand of evangelicalism you bring to the table, that they're what we're, you're aiming for is liberty because that's what the gospel promises. And the, right. the pitfalls on either side, it's one of the few times the alliterative thing works, is license or legalism. So right. I find I've never talked to somebody, this kind of takes away straw men that say, no, I'm, I'm a legalist, and that's where I've kind of landed. It's, it's, it's sort of like you'll never find anybody that's the weaker brother. Um, right. You know, <laughs> nobody ever says, well, I'm the weaker brother in this situation, so <laughs> right. I think you, you always right. assume uh, rightly or wrongly, that you're the stronger brother, but I think um, you know it, it, that's a framework, and then it, it's up to each party to say, you know, I think there's some antinomian tendencies there. I think there's some legalistic tendencies there. Um, let, let me just give you this because we're, we're and are your kids good, Jeff? You have yeah, I'm pretty close to needing to run upstairs. Okay, I, I didn't want to introduce my children on the podcast yeah. uh, per se. <laughs> well, they're getting out of school. How about this? For when we, when we get you back, one of the things I would love to pick your brain on a little more is what does practical holiness look like? And right. maybe maybe Nathan, right. there is a mm-hmm. podcast because look, uh, the Bible says without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Right. Uh, we're, right. we're called to it, so there's going to be scriptural agreement on that. And we all know people aren't getting holiness from us. So. Right, exactly. I mean, I think that is a strong given. Um, yeah. But I uh, just be thinking about that, Jeff. Uh, it was so great to just have you back in the mix yeah. with us, dude. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Good, good. All right. I enjoyed it. I, I agree. I think, uh, I think if I was to sort of cap off anything that I'm saying is that you know, I I want 
I want to be a convictional Christian, uh-huh. and I, anything that's ever happened in my life that's been a step towards Christ comes from when the Word of God uh, hits my heart, and there's illuminating work from the Holy Spirit, and He just changes my mindset, my frame of mind, and my affections follow. Um, so it, I think... I think that's probably the driving motivation of people like Piper, Moeller, kind of the T for G crowd, yep. uh, MacArthur. I think that's that's a huge driver. But I'd love to pick up on that more, um, you know, another time. But I do have to go. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, you roll, Jeff. It was great. Yeah. All right. All hey, right. thanks, gentlemen. Yeah, we'll bet. talk Thank to you again. You. Take care. All right. Bye. 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 So, Greg, that was Jeff. We're going to go ahead and sign off now. Man, what a great night, just so everybody knows. Oh, I, oh, I did want to say one thing, Nathan. Yeah. Um, for anybody that uh, I'm going to do like we did last week, because we've announced our uh, winners via Twitter. We didn't yep. do it from the podcast because we had pre-recorded yep. and, and skipped a week in live time. Um, because we talked a lot tonight about John MacArthur, who comes mm-hmm. up a lot along with some other famous preachers, I'd yep. uh, like to give away... Uh, a copy of Ian Murray's outstanding biography on John MacArthur, which is a fascinating read. Um, let's do it for the Twitter following on um, these go to eleven, mm-hmm. which is at podcast tgt eleven. Yep, one one. Uh, you can find it pretty quickly on Twitter. Here's how we'll do it: we'll give away. Uh, tell you what, we'll give away two copies of the book, mm-hmm. uh, and we'll include everybody. So I'll we'll do it next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is releasing on Tuesday the 16th, so yep. it'll be the that day on Twitter on the 23rd. Randomize people that have been there from the beginning till next week. How, how about we do this, Greg, on our podcast next week yep. with uh, Steve and um, Dave, Dave Shive, uh, Grace-Based Parenting, so you guys can look forward to that one. Yep. We will make the announcement of the uh, winners then. Oh, that's perfect. So we'll do it right on the podcast. We'll, we'll do it on the podcast. Uh, so I'd say from the time you're hearing this yep. until uh, February the 23rd, yep. which is when that will air, yep. and we'll uh, announce it. I'd say any time up till about 5 o'clock Eastern time yep. uh, is when we'll use the randomizer. Yep. So just follow us on Twitter. We love building that following and get out great information to people. And uh, fun night tonight. You just heard Jeff Kratz, yeah. and then you're about to hear some uh, random riffing on Breaking Bad. Yep. Yep. So, guys... We just rocked the Casbah. Rocked it. These go to 11.